We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best. How's it going today? And welcome to the third episode of Space Debriefing. Today we're going to be talking about the start of the space age. Space exploration has had a long, sometimes dangerous, sometimes beautiful life. Dating back to the first real advances in space back in 1930, a lot of modern-day space technology can be traced back to the work of Werner von Braun and Hermann Oberth. Hermann Oberth was born in Austro-Hungary, and by the age of 14, he built his first model rocket. After building his model rocket, Oberth came to the conclusion he needed multiple stages. He didn't invent the multi-stage rocket, but he did come to the idea without any external influence, solely based on his interest in rockets and rocket technology. Initially, he did not pursue rocketry as a career. Instead, he went to school to study medicine. But while he was in school, Oberth was drafted into World War I. He was placed into a medic unit in a hospital in now what is known as Romania. In his spare time while working there, he did experiments on weightlessness and began to create rocket designs once again. By 1917, he showed his designs of a missile using liquid propulsion with a range of 180 miles to Hermann von Stein, the Prussian Minister of War. In 1923, Oberth published a 92-page paper called The Rocket into called The Rocket into Planetary Space. This book was partially responsible for young Werner von Braun's fascination and later career in spaceflight. Werner von Braun later attended the Technical University of Berlin, where he assisted Oberth in liquid-fueled rocket motor tests. In 1932, von Braun and Oberth went to work for the German army to develop liquid-fueled rockets. This was when they begun work on the A-4 rocket, which later became the V-2. In 1937, Werner von Braun and Oberth, along with other scientists, worked at a secret laboratory at a place called Pindamunda on the Baltic coast. The A-4 was a liquid propellant missile, and it was 46 feet in length and weighing in at 27,000 pounds. The A-4 flew at speeds at excess of 3,500 miles per hour and delivered a 2,200-pound warhead to a target up to 200 miles away. This is an important detail because London was only about 100 miles away from Pindamunda giving the Germans the ability to deliver bombs without planes over the city. Adolf Hitler was not impressed by the A-4 because he saw it as a more expensive artillery shell that could be launched from afar. In 1943, Werner von Braun promised the Long-Range Bombardment Commission that the A-4 development was practically complete 
but even by the middle of 1944, a complete A4 parts list was still unavailable. Despite this, Hitler was sufficiently impressed by the enthusiasm of the team at Pindamunda and needed what he called was a wonder weapon to maintain German morale, so he authorized the development in large numbers. The first successful test flight of the A-4 was on October 3, 1942, reaching an altitude of 84.5 kilometers or 52.5 miles. After Hitler placed his large order, they began working on a production line at Pinamunda. But work was halted when the Royal Air Force proceeded with what they called Operation Hydra. In 1943, Pinamunda was bombed and all the production had to be moved underground to a facility in Kohenstein called Mittelwerk. Kohenstein was a large hill that used to be used as a sulfate mine and the Germans built a production line in its large cavities. Hans Kammler was put in charge of production. Until now, Werner von Braun and his team were left to do as they needed, and not much involvement from the German government. Amy Shira Titel says in her book, Breaking the Chains of Gravity, which talks extensively on this subject, quote, Hans Kammler was a high-ranking officer, the SS was slowly but surely wrestling control of the rocket program, exactly what Durenberg and von Braun had been wary of for years. End quote. Until now, Walter Durenberg was a German officer in charge of the missile program. Kamler was SS and was known for being brutal. He went as far as to say, quote, Don't worry about the victims. The work must proceed ahead in the shortest time possible. End quote. Almost all of the workers there were Jewish from a nearby concentration labor camp. Because of the situation on the production line, they were able to produce large amounts of rockets, but these rockets were riddled with imperfections. The Jews were being pushed until they died of exhaustion or were beaten to death. They could not do this finely detailed and complex work under these conditions. Even though they could pump out a lot of rockets, very few of them would work without problem. The first missile that was used against London was launched from The Hague in the Netherlands, and it landed at Staveley Road, Chriswick, killing three people. During the war, the A-4, later the V-2, killed an estimated 2,754 civilians in London and another 6,523 were injured. The V-2 rocket was not known for its accuracy, and so some attacks would miss people entirely, while others, such as on November 25, 1944, a V-2 aimed at a Woolworths department store in New Cross, southeast London, killed 160 people, and 108 were seriously injured. On March 27, 1945, one of the last two V-2 rockets launched. One of these was the last V-2 to kill a British civilian, Miss Ivory Millichamp, aged 34. She was killed in her home in Canston Road, Orpington, Kent, which is southeast of London. After World War II ended on September 2, 1945, 
The scientists who worked on the V-2 rocket program were recruited by both the Soviet Union and the United States to create missiles and rockets of their own. A lot of people who worked on the V-2 program weren't huge Nazi supporters, such as von Braun himself. The Nazis were just the ones with the funding. Von Braun ended up moving to the United States to work in the American space industry, and he would go on to design the Saturn V rocket alongside another German scientist named Arthur Rudolph. You can go back further than I did today, but you have to have somewhere to start. I felt this was a good enough place to give you a basic understanding of where spaceflight came from. If you enjoyed what you heard today, let me know either on Twitter or by email, both of which are in the description, and maybe consider leaving a review on iTunes. If I got any info wrong, go ahead and let me know as well, and I will try to address this in the beginning of next episode.